It's time to connect with Lacey Nelson. I'm producer Brandon with the Rob Anybody and Don Show. Thank you so much for joining us today on this December 2nd. Beautiful December day. Uh, if you'd like to connect with us, feel free to email rad at radradio.com or you can call us. The phone lines are open, 888-989-9811 if you want to get engaged and connect with our special guest today. And let's get it started, Lacey. Good morning. Good morning. It's been an interesting day for Rad Radio from what I hear. Yes, very busy. Follow their social media for some updates and some changes that they're going through. And we love you guys and and, uh, continued success to everybody on the show, Queenie included. Thank you. So um, we are here today um, with two people who I love and adore. And, you know, I just um, I'll start this by saying, you know, last last week I had no guests ready yet for today's show. And usually I have them within two to three weeks prep time. And, you know, I told myself sitting there, I said, the December 2nd episode, we're going to have the most engagement, the most excitement. I don't know who's coming on yet, but we're going to figure it out. God's going to bring it. You willed it to be. We will. I willed it to be. And nice. just a few days ago, I, I, I've been trying to work this out with Liz and Scott for a couple months. And... Um, they've been busy the holiday season. They have three young boys. And so of course, you know, there's crazy busy with that. And just a few days ago, I'm like, let me give it a shot. And boom, it worked out. And we posted the flyer and thank you to all of our viewers, our fans, people I haven't met yet. Um, tons of engagement on this particular episode. And I will say that's because of these two, um, (laughs) their book, Facing Evil, which I got my first copy of it today. Do you guys have it in front of you? Where's that copy? Let me see it. I want to show it on camera. This book is now on Amazon. It's on the flyer, Facing Evil. Can you see that, Kyle? (laughs) Okay. So we'll post the link and put it on my social media channels. I can't wait to get going on this book. Um, I'll tell you. So if you don't know who these two are, you're in for a treat. Uh, We, Scott and I both met at the Sacramento County Sheriff's Office working together. Um, And I'll say that uh, everything that we say today and discuss about this particular day and incident is the views of of Scott and I and and Liz alone. Um, This is our conversation has no association with our employment at the Sheriff's Office. They've been incredibly supportive for Scott and what he went through. Um, But today this is just about us and our conversation. But I will say, I cannot wait to read this book, Facing Evil. So October 24th, 2014, I'm just going to get into the conversation because we have a lot to talk about. October 24th, 2014, I was a brand new jail deputy working at the branch, a couple years into my employment and um, excited for what I was doing and um, couldn't wait to get going on my career. And uh, this day happened. And I remember thinking that day, Scott, oh, my God, this is real. You know, when when you hear about something like this, I hadn't yet had the experience of patrol. And I just remember thinking, um, oh, shit, <laughs> you know, uh, this is real. This happens. You know, and we can say 10 years later, our department has had four in the line of duty officer deaths, um, all gunfire related, all assailant related. Um, and this was like the first wake up call for me that this just got real. And so I didn't know you yet. I hadn't met you. Um, and I'll tell you meeting you the first time when we met the first time I, you were a hero to me and (laughs) I know you don't feel that, you know, um, none of us do. 
you know, and we shouldn't. But even to this day, you are one of my heroes, one of my role models, somebody that I've always looked up to. Um, this day was, and probably the days and months following for the two of you. How long have you been married? 18 years. 18 years, yeah. 18 years. And um, I'm sure that this situation changed the marriage. We're going to talk about that a little bit through your experiences. Just anybody in first responder field, uh, military you know, backgrounds and PTSD related. This is as raw and real as it gets for a situation. Uh, you know, everything I've ever seen doesn't even equate to what Scott went through that day. Um, I'm going to let you take us through it, Scott. Yeah. So, well, it's interesting. I had a similar experience working in the jail 20 years ago. Um, now, uh, and my first experience with a line of duty death was I was sitting in the jail, listening to the radio traffic as we do, cause we want to go out to patrol. And I listened to the radio traffic of star six crashing. Oh. Um, that happened while I was in the jail. So that was my first experience of, oh, man, this is real kind of thing. And Star 6, for those of you who don't know, our helicopter. Star is the sheriff's office helicopter. And what date was that? Oh, I, I can't remember off the top of my head. I just, it was 2006. It is, no, Star was in 2000. Was it three or four? Okay, so it was well before that. Okay, yeah. so our, our helicopter went down, um, crashed while up orbiting, working on a call for service, and two of the three members of that helicopter crash um, passed away, perished in that crash. Um, Kevin Blount and... Joe Kiefernagle. Joe Kiefernagle. So, um, yeah. And the other gentleman in the helicopter survived and lives to this day, and, and I think of him. I've never met him, but... Um, so you are... He's around. a great guy. He's okay. a great guy. Good golfer, too. Okay. Good golfer. <laughs> Excellent. We played a couple times. I'm horrible. He's good. Perfect. Um, he should know. be golfing for the rest of his life. Yes. He should be good at it. Yes. So yes. Okay, so you... Um, so, yeah. So, and we've had 10 since I've been on, um, you know, and, and now that Liz and I are traveling all over the country uh, speaking, uh, it's particularly high in our area, um, to say the least. But so back to that day, um, I was about 13 years into my career, was working on our pop team the, with the North Patrol. We did a little bit of everything. People always ask, what is a POP team? It's problem-oriented policing. We go to community meetings. We do, you know, coffee with a cop. But we also did high-impact sweeps. We did um, our own operations for prostitution and massage parlors. And we would help out all the auxiliary teams with if they needed extra bodies kind of thing. I loved it. I loved it. It was my favorite job in the entire department. And, and if it weren't for what happened, I'd still be doing that job. I liked it so much. Um, so to kind of give you a context, I knew Danny for about – eight to 10 years prior to me going to the pop team with him. We did patrol together. There was a whole group of us that were a graveyard together. Then he ended up on the pop team, tried to get me to come there. I was happy with graveyard because it was late and there was a lot of weird stuff that happened. <laughs> and then he uh, finally got me to go and uh, we got there and we, we clicked, you know, we clicked as partners immediately. I mean, we'd ridden together out on patrol and everything. We were friends, you know, that kind of thing. But as soon as we got riding together, we had a blast. We had so much fun. And Danny was an amazing cop. He taught me, a ton. I thought I knew a lot until, and then he was, he taught me so much about proactivity and, and catching bad guys. And, uh, I remember he was supposed to, he actually turned down a promotion to stay on the pop team and he was going to retire in about three years. And he made me promise not to put in for anything until he promoted. And then I was allowed <laughs> to do whatever I wanted after that. So he's your work wife. He was my yes. work wife. Okay. Big time. Mm -hmm. Big time. People underestimate the connection you make with somebody that you ride in the car with 40 hours a week. You know, you're with this person more than your family, um, and it's not just your average run-of-the-mill job. You know, we're literally using this person to save our lives every mm -hmm. day, yeah. you know, or at least um, go through very traumatic, horrible situations with fun. It's Patrol was probably the most fun I ever had in my life. 
those years in the car. So I'm pretty sure you and Danny were no different. I want to show our viewers, Danny, yeah. everything that I know and heard about Danny Kyle. Can you see him? Pull it back a little bit. Pull it back a yeah. little. There you go. Everything I've ever heard about this guy was this is basically his personality all the time. It's fun. Yes. You know, living yeah. carefree. He was, he was great. Okay. He was great. And uh, so um, for that day, we were uh, riding together. Um, we've been about six months on the team. We just arrested somebody, helped out uh, parole with somebody that they needed to pick up. And we were on our way back to our general area. And uh, we decided to stop by the Motel 6 that doesn't exist anymore. It was at Ethan and Arden, right there at the How About Arden area. And it was a known hotspot for drugs, prostitution, guns, whatever it was. And so we, we didn't have anything set that day, so we decided to go there. So we go there. Danny drove. I was the passenger always because he was an EVOC instructor, drove like a maniac, but somehow managed to never get in an accident. It was pretty impressive. Plus, I hated daytime traffic. Right. Um, and then add to the fact that uh, Danny was built a lot like his dog, which was a bulldog. Okay. So he was short and powerful, but he, you know, and I was the runner. I know you can't tell now, but at the time, <laughs> I was the runner. And so anyway, so it worked out. So we pull into the parking lot. Danny's driving, and um, we run a couple license plates, that kind of thing. And then we pull around to the back of the motel. It's about 10, 20 in the morning in October. It was a little foggy that day. And uh, we uh, we were driving an unmarked uh, white Crown Vic, although everybody knows, you know, it's yeah. the cops when we pull up, right? And then we had our, our tack vest that said everything. Anyway, we pull up, and uh, Danny puts it in park, jumps out of the car, and says, there's two in the car. And I was on the computer, so I look up, and I see, so I jump out. I start approaching the passenger side and uh, contact the, the female that was standing out there. Was she standing outside the car? Yes, she was standing outside uh, the car, and the trunk was open, and Danny contacted... Um, the driver and I, I don't like to say his no, name, so I'm going to call him name. the bad guy or <laughs> yeah. I might even use a bad word if that's Fine. okay. Um, cause that's how I think about him. But so I contacted her and while I'm talking with her, she was, I mean, had a weird vibe. She ends up shutting the trunk kind of real slow and then finally looks at me and I'm, I'm thinking there's something in the trunk mm -hmm. and uh, I use my big boy voice and finally get her to sit down. She's a pretty big girl and she was back passenger open door. Okay. Normally it's the front passenger door is what I, what people yeah, think, but, but it was yeah. actually the back passenger door, which was a little odd. Soon as her butt hit the seat, I hear about six shots come out from the driver's side of the car. And so I'm back, back by the back passenger door. So And the trunk's closed at this point? At, at this point. So maybe 10 feet at the most. Okay. Was um, Danny out of the car? Danny was standing. So when I was talking with her, Danny was at the driver's side door. Got it. And then when I heard the shots, obviously, I looked that direction, and I don't see Danny standing there. He wasn't tall, but he, I should have seen him standing there. So instantly, I knew he was down in some capacity. Um. I back up. I'm in the middle of a parking lot with no cover, so I have nothing to hide behind at the moment where I'm standing. And I start to draw, but he, uh, the driver gets up, levels his gun at me from over the hood of the car uh, before I can finish drawing, and he starts firing rounds at me. Uh, and I knew he was firing rounds because I heard the first one and then didn't hear anything after that, but I could continue to see the muzzle flash. And I felt the bullets going by my neck and my ears. I could literally feel them missing me by, out of, you know, obviously a little bit. I finished drawing, returned fire, he ducked down. Um, about where he ducked down, I kind of made my best guess and started firing rounds through the back window. Eventually decided I had to reevaluate the situation, so I stopped firing and started to sidestep over to see where, I wanted to see where that guy was, see where Danny was, and hopefully everything was, you Where'd know. Where'd the woman go at this point? She okay. flew into the back seat and was hiding there. Okay. Um, little did I know that she had a gun in her purse. She could have pulled it out and shot me, and I would have had. I would have never even looked. I never looked at her again. Got it. Because I was so focused on that guy. Okay. So as I'm getting ready to go, step to the side to go 
figure out what's going on, I see the front post of an AR-15 come up from where that guy ducked down. Okay. Um, knowing I'm standing in the middle of a parking lot with no cover and about three rounds left, I just and and knowing what he had, I decided it was time to take some cover. So we'd been there a million times. I knew that hotel like the back of my hand. So I beat feet and about seven cars down, got behind the wheel well, started getting some traffic out. That's when I heard a single shot. And I remember yelling, screaming in my head, oh shit, he just executed Danny. Because I'd seen a lot of training videos where that's what happened, right? They get him down and then went and finished him. It's not what happened. We still don't know. I've talked to investigators and everybody else. We don't know what that one shot was, if it was an accidental discharge, whether he was shooting at me as I was running away. I don't that know. That last shot? The single shot. Oh. We don't know what that was. It didn't. It wasn't Danny. It wasn't because because of ballistics and stuff. Got it. So we don't know if he accidentally or if he was shooting at me and missed or what it was. Um, so I come up. So after that, I, I get some radio out and I realize I don't know where he's at because he's out of my view. I need to come up with a new game plan to go back at him. Can't let him go. So I come up with a plan of attack and I start to execute that plan. And uh, uh, anyway, long story short, there's a part I don't like to talk about. Mm -hmm. um, but the suspect before I can get back to him. Um, gets in the car, backs up, and, and, and gets away. He rounds a corner, and he's gone. Okay. Um, when I finally see Danny, that's when I realize uh, he'd been hit, and uh, he'd been shot in the head. Um, and I knew instantly from my years of experience at that point that he was gone. I mean, you still try, right? You still still render some first aid, and you do what you can. I uh, got some radio traffic out because I didn't want anybody else to get caught in it. Yeah. Um, and then... Uh, I remember somebody was filming with their phone on the upper balcony and I heard a lady scream and I remember yelling for everybody to go back to the rooms, but not to go anywhere. Cause I knew people were going to want to talk to them. Yeah. And then, uh, that's when, uh, and it is hard to talk about too, but that's when Bob French actually was the first one on scene and he pulled me off of Danny and got me into a detective's car and they got me out of there. And, uh, and then that's actually when I was in the car heading to our detective vision is when I tried to call Liz, uh, and she can go over that in a second. Um, but to continue on with his day, for the people that don't know, he then went to a neighborhood not too far away, uh, tried to carjack a civilian, shot him about six times. He lived and then carjacked another uh, female, got her car left, decided that car was too hot, carjacked another, tried to carjack another person. That one didn't succeed because they, I don't know why, and then went to another one, carjacked some landscape workers, helped them unload their trailer, and then took their truck. And that was when he was heading up to Auburn, sees the license plate on the freeway sign, decides, oh, no, they know our truck. So they get off, and he has no idea where he's going, gets lost in Auburn. And this is, uh, this is our opinion of God that day because he, you know, he's way away from the scene. He happens to pull in front of a house to change plates on the truck in front of a retired CHP officer's house who's in the front window drinking coffee, listening to KFBK, I believe, who's telling what's happening down in Sacramento and describes the truck. Oh my God. And so he calls 911. Uh, of course, Auburn PD and, and Placer are all in that run into that area and it ends up two officers end up confronting him. He starts shooting at them with the rifle. They bail out um, and go down a hill. Their car wasn't put in park. It rolls forward. He jumps in their patrol car. Oh, I didn't know this. And then oh, takes yeah. off and leaves his wife in the truck. He takes off, and then that's when uh, Detective Mike Davis and his partner see the car flying down these residential streets, and they believe it's a patrol car chasing the bad guy. So they jump in behind it, think they're following a patrol car that's following the bad guy. They pull into a cul-de-sac, and that car pulls into a driveway, but they're not paying attention to the patrol car because they think it's one of their guys. 
So they jump out and they immediately hear gunfire. But again, they're not looking that way initially. And then once they realize that guy was, it was him and he was shooting at them, um, you know, they take cover and go to return fire. And, but before they could, Mike Davis catches a rifle round through the chest and um, he doesn't make it. And then another officer catches a ricochet in the hand. Um, and then he bails, goes down a hill, around in a creek, and then up into a house where they see him. Somebody sees him go into the house. And then uh, uh, they call surround every SWAT team, I think, in Northern California was there, along with seven layers of helicopters and everything else. Um, they throw some gas in there, and he eventually crawls out on his back with his hands up and gives up. Just like that. Just like that. After how many hours of May? Like two? I want to say it started at 1020, 10. and I want to say he was in custody by three, two, three o'clock in the afternoon, give or take. <laughs> yeah. It's a long day. <laughs> yeah, it was a long day. It's long, but it's not long. Yeah. No. You know, it, like we live every day, and 10 to 3 is nothing. But this one piece of shit caused that much mayhem and just destruction in a five-hour period. Yeah. And not to mention how many schools were on lockdown because nobody knew where he was. Yeah. So it hit the community as well, not just the law enforcement community, because parents don't know why they can't get their children. Right. So and we how, keep hearing about people that have been affected that way, too. And all these carjacking victims are living forever with this, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just started just like that. Yeah. And it's crazy because the, the actual shooting, the incident itself, I could still close my eyes and picture it in high definition detail, slow motion, right? I mean, I remember when I was returning fire, I remember watching the glass crack with each shot. At least that's how I felt anyway, right? Yeah. Um, but pretty much from the second I saw Danny for the next three weeks... I remember details, but in the wrong order, or I remember them completely wrong. So for the book, I had to, I mean, um, thank God Liz was, you know, my rock still is, but um, she remembered a lot of it because I was remembering it, but out of order or, or the wrong details um, because all of a sudden I was on overload. I was fried. Did you ever go through any hypnosis therapy to bring any of it back? I never did hypnosis therapy. I did. Uh, so it took a little while. I did talk therapy. Yes. Um, and then uh, right afterwards, I was having uh, a lot of nightmares. I didn't sleep. Slept for about 30 minutes a night for a couple weeks straight, which will make you goofy after a while. Yeah. Um, I would have waking images. So say I was talking to you right now, I would not see your face. I would see Danny's with a hole, right? Oh, um, which God. is hard to carry on a conversation with somebody like that. Uh, couldn't be in crowds. I'd go to uh, – our church was my safe place. Um, and, and we go to Bayside, which is a, 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 in, in Roseville Grand Bay Area, and the, the place is huge. And it was overwhelming. The first time we went into a service and they started playing music, I started crying. I had to leave. Yeah. And it, I was embarrassed. I was emotional. It was it was the whole, you know, and I shouldn't have been because that's just a natural reaction. But at the time, I didn't really know. And uh, so we ended up having to watch a lot of church services for quite a while in a, in a special room with just a TV because I couldn't be in all the, among all those people. Loud noises, irritable, all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, but anyway, so I started off with talk therapy and then I did journaling, which is actually what started this book. Um, It started out as a journal um, and that helped with the waking images and some of the nightmares. And then after a while, I eventually uh, heard about this thing called EMDR. Yes, I've done that. And uh, first time I heard about it, I'm like, this is some weird voodoo bull. (laughs) I mean, it, it was so weird. I'm like, not a chance. There is no way. And then I did some research. I started looking into it. I watched some YouTube videos, and it was working very well with Vietnam vets and, and starting to progress into law enforcement. So I figured, you know, I can't afford to let myself go down a bad road. I have a wife and three boys. I got I to gotta be healthy for them and for myself. And 
So I said, you know what? Throw your pride and your dignity a little bit aside, right? Yes. Don't be afraid to try new things. If it's something you don't like, try it once. If it didn't work, it didn't work. But at least I could say I tried it, right? Instead of just blowing it off. So I tried it and it worked. It was mm. amazing. Um, I can not, say the same about EMDR. Yeah. 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 And Incredibly not to say it wasn't useful. a continued road after that, but it definitely, definitely helped. And she's done it too. Okay. It, incredibly helpful. I can say for anybody that wants to go through some mental fixes, EMDRs, I called it the beep therapy. My therapist would laugh at me calling it beep therapy because they'd put a headphone set on you and it would beep, 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 beep. And it's like reprogramming your thought patterns. And so, yeah, I can say we're plugging EMDR therapy. Here. Yes. Yeah. yes. Well, and for me, it was funny because she, she's like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm gonna, our, our therapist and I'm like, okay, what are my options? Right. And all the videos I watch, they're like following your finger in front of your face. And I said, if somebody waves their finger in front of my face, I'm going to break it off because that's yeah. just going to yeah. piss me I'm off. I'm not right? drunk enough for this. Yeah, yeah. That's going to irritate me. <laughs> yeah. So what are my other options? And she said, well, we have a, the beeping thing. I'm like, okay, that's an option. And she's all, you could do tapping where you're tapping on either leg. And I said, well, I don't have any rhythm, so that's not going to work. And, uh, and then she said, I have these little basically like balls that you hold and they vibrate alternating. I'm like, mm -hmm. that sounds good. I don't have to do anything. I can just stand there. there. Um, so that's how I ended up doing okay. it because I thought the beeping would probably bother me it, too. Yeah, at first half deaf in one ear yeah. and everything else. So right. I figured, you know, might as well. So, so you know, if anybody, any listeners have questions, please write or call in. Seriously, R yeah, rad at radradio.com, or if you want to call and chat, it's eight 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 nine eight nine ninety eight eleven. This is a time. I mean, you're getting firsthand experience from, I would say, the worst day, ever. It was worst day for me. You know, and. How do you how do you make sense of such a senseless act? <laughs> well, you don't at first. Um, I remember. I mean, I what if the crap out of it. Like, what if I'd have done this? What if I'd have done that? Why me and not Danny? Right? Why am I still alive, and and not Danny? Why aren't both of us dead? Right? Why are you know why 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 why? And it took me a little bit, and my faith had a huge part to deal with how I was able to adjust with the why and and all that other stuff. And finally, it the first thing that dawned on me was, you know, I was I, I'm here for a reason. Still trying to I, I'm still trying to define exactly what that reason is. But the first epiphany, I guess, that I came to was if the only reason I'm still around is to be a good dad and to raise three good young men to be, you know, three boys to be good men because we need good men in this world. Yes. If that's the only reason I'm here, that's good enough for me. I don't think that's it. I think the book and us and Liz and I are now talking about this stuff regularly um, with cops and, and, and trying to dispel um, the stigma of don't get help. It makes you weak. We're trying to get rid of some of that, that stigma that's, that's persisted over the years with law enforcement. It is getting better and they're doing great jobs in the academy. There's a lot of new stuff coming out there, but we're, our job is to help with that. Um, we're, we're trying to help with law enforcement marriages. They don't have a good track record of staying together. Right. Um, compared to the national average, I, I heard, is about 50 to 55% divorce rate. The average in the United States for law enforcement is about a 70-something percent divorce rate. And then at a critical incident, it gets even higher. Yes. So we're trying to help with that. And then, and then just realize, help people realize that cops are people. They see this stuff on the news or they watch a movie, right? They get in a shooting and they go have a beer joke afterwards, right? Or on the news, they see the news end, right? And, and that's it. We take this stuff home. Oh, we live with it for years and years. That wasn't my first shooting. Um, and, and it wasn't her first call to wake her up in the middle of the night because something had happened. Car accidents and fights and hospital visits. I mean, I've broken some different things on myself over the years, right? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it doesn't just affect us. It affects our spouses, our kids, our extended family. Um, 
when I saw my mom and dad for the first time after Danny was killed, they both cried. I don't think I've ever seen my dad cry in his life. And, uh, and it, so it, I have a twin brother. We are very, very tight. And uh, it, it, it hurt him. It affected him and my sister too. So it affects everybody. And that's part of what we're trying to let people realize is that it, it, it's not just what you see. It's, there's, a, there's a bigger picture. It's the ripple effect. You know, that whole rock yes. in the pond thing. And, and, and I'll touch on something that, that Scott said. That day after the incident, Bob French shows up. And Bob um, was a, like a huge impact for me when I started my patrol experience in law enforcement. Um, Bob was a legend. His nickname was the commander. Just the guy was just a presence about him. 43 Adam one was his call sign and forever retired because, um, a couple years later, less than two miles away, I think less than two miles away, Bob was killed in the line of duty at the Ramada Inn on Fulton and Auburn during a shootout with another suspect. And, um, coincidentally enough, my mom, and I don't think that you know this, worked for a company called Hygentech at the time who was contracted through the county, and they were basically the crime scene cleanup crew for the county. My mom responded to Danny and your call and oh. met Bob, and Bob helped her clean the scene. Wow. Yeah, so my mom carries that as well. Knowing that her kid is a cop now for the same department, hasn't gone out to patrol yet, and so that kind of rocked my mom a little bit too. You know, so she thinks about that a lot, too. Yeah, Bob Bob had a ripple effect. One, I knew him personally. We worked together quite a bit as well. Um, I have pictures of me and Bob in D.C. putting Danny's name on the wall in 2015. And then several years later, I'm in D.C. putting Bob's name on the wall. Um, that was particularly hard. And then the trial, which was a whole nother just I could barely thing. watch part of it. Um, <laughs> and a lot of people remember, we, we talk nationally, right? Like I said, and we've... People don't necessarily know who we are, and then when, when they see his picture on the on our PowerPoint presentation while we're talking, we'll have him come up on breaks. They're like, as soon as I saw him, I remember watching excerpts on our TV, and this is you know Indiana, Maine, wherever it is, and they I screamed at my TV. I wanted to shoot my TV. I was so mad just because yeah. of the smiles and the things he was saying. Um, but I remember in the trial, and uh, unfortunately I wasn't necessarily warned, um, I heard Bob's radio traffic, which threw me off because he was already dead, dead at that point. Um, and then they showed an aerial of, of the, of the scene, which wasn't, was, I wasn't ready for as well, but yeah, Bob was, um, I mean, they're all, they're all tragic and yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, and I have questions for you because we got to hear what your side of this too, because like you said, that ripple effect, it doesn't just stop with that day and that moment and everybody goes on and lives a happy life. Your marriage has survived the most traumatic thing that I think a human being can go through. Um, you know, and I'm sure it wasn't easy. I'm sure there were moments where you didn't think it was going to make it. And I kind of remember hearing you speak about something where, um, in his moments of sleep, there were moments where you, you know, you had to start waking him up differently to wake him up out of sleep instead of the normal, honey, it's time to get up. You had to start like touching his feet. Is this (laughs) something that I remember here? Well, the kids, because a lot of times, you know, you send the kids in and go wake up daddy or daddy's home because depending on his schedule and there was a time where the kids had to tiptoe to go in instead of that normal what you see them running in and jumping into bed it was more like a tiptoe and they would have to start at his feet and kind of tickle his feet and touch his feet to wake him up gingerly because he would wake up swinging you never knew what kind of state he was in if he was still dreaming if he was nightmaring um the nightmares did subside i mean it took but it took like we were talking about it. We just said the seventh. So we just had the eighth year anniversary, but on the seventh year anniversary, 
was the first anniversary he didn't have nightmares. Really? So a lot of people don't realize it continues. It wasn't every day, but they still showed up. And when there was anything that might have triggered him, like the anniversary, just October in general, when October comes around, things are just a little bit different and we have to act just so we've recognized it. And but it was the seventh year. And we know a lot of it probably has to do because the book was released. And I think he just was able to say, I feel like there's the good that's coming out of this now. Like, I feel like I can actually help people yes. with this situation and not sit in the bad anymore. So that was a big one. The kids definitely, and there was a lot of times just, it was little things at home. And when Scott gets home, we would, it, it, it's not as bad now, but there was a time where it's like, hey, daddy's on his way. You kind of had to gear up because nobody, we never knew what kind of state of mind he'd be when mm -hmm. he came home. And we started I'll, to recognize. I'll say it for you. Yeah. I came home and I was a dick sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> I was a jerk. Yeah. And I didn't recognize it, right? I was holding it together so much at work as we do. You know, I had to put on this front at work. And then we have to let it go sometime. We have to. Nobody can hold it in forever. And we do it around the people we're most comfortable with. Right. And sadly, they it's took the brunt of it. The family. Because yeah. you go home into your safe your yeah. safe zone. I got to say right now, it was all, it was just, you know, I was a jerk. I was nothing violent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would have made yeah. that clear. Yeah, we wouldn't be here. No, yeah. no. no we yes. would not. <laughs> but, you know, I get it because it's, and, and this is why you're doing this, right? Your reason. Yeah. The, the why as to how do we make sense of an act like this? Because um, whether or not somebody's involved in something this tragic or you're a cop and you've never, I'm lucky, um, I've never been involved in something this tragic at work. You know, uh, so but the PTSD is real situations. There are what we call triggers. You see something, you feel something, you hear it, you smell it. And all of a sudden. And so that's why you guys are doing this to show other couples and families, even if you're not married and it's just your kids or if it's just you, because the suicide rate in law enforcement is higher than almost anything else. And and I won't take away from other occupations where suicide is high, but we're talking law enforcement and it's extremely high. And so this is why you're doing it, because people need help. Wives need help. Husbands, kids, you know, just the person. We're seeing this increase in officers in their 20s who have been on the force for two years committing suicide. So mental health awareness for our line of work is crucial. And I don't know how they define a traumatic event, but I heard a stat the other day where the average person, and I say just, you know, person that doesn't isn't a first responder, experiences one to three, I think it was one to 3.2, some weird number, right? I don't know what yes. the point two is, but um, traumatic events in their lifetime. Yes. In their lifetime. And the average law enforcement officer will experience up around approximately 30 a year. Yes. And then you have a 20, 30 year career in that, right? Yes. No I wonder mean, we're all yeah. jacked up, huh? Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, you might not go into it that way, but you're gonna leave with some baggage, right? Yes. And, and it's, it's how you hold the baggage and whether you're gonna hold on to all of it or just some of it. And I think that's too why I do this podcast with you, mm -hmm. with you guys, because this is my outlet. You know, this book is Scott and Liz's outlet. This coming forward, I still want to like people. <laughs> I still, by and large, love people. I love meeting new people. I love work and talking to people, even inmates. I'm back at the jail now in promotion, and I, I still enjoy conversation with other human beings who are, in that moment, decent, you know, and I don't want to lose that. And so your outlet has been this book. This podcast has been my outlet. And I can thank Brandon and Kyle and Rad Radio for letting me have it um, because it has saved me from those moments of depression. I have something to look forward to, my outlet, you know. And so everybody in law enforcement or first responders in general need to find that outlet too, like you say. Um, but first it starts inside the heart and how to get ourselves right and not come home being the 
jerk of the century. Yeah. Um, your boys, they're growing up to be just amazing. How are they taking all this over the years? It's, yeah. <laughs> well, they were re- they were really young when it happened, and so our oldest was about kindergarten. Okay. And that was actually eye-opening for us because we learned early on the power of information to our kids because we just kind of like he wants to protect me as a spouse. We were trying to protect our kids. Um, but we had actually been sequestered that weekend, and our little one had gone to school, and a friend from the classroom actually told him all oh. the story because their dad had shared the whole newspaper article with him. And it so that was eye-opening for us. Like, gosh, if we don't tell our kids first, and we don't have to tell them everything – they need to hear it from us first. Yes. And so that was one of the, thankfully now he tells us he doesn't actually remember most of that time because we thought we really messed up. Um, but actually in the last like three years, and I mean, we all know our kids have gone through a lot of crazy stuff with school anyway, but stuff started showing up in their schoolwork and stuff start, and we couldn't figure out what was going on. And we talked to one of actually our tutors and she said, she goes, have your kids ever gone through a traumatic incident has anything happened to your family and we're like well um let us tell you she goes that's what's going on they were so young so you thought they weren't impacted but their executive function in their brain was developing and so there is still they were still impacted in ways and how we, is it showing up no, it, so, other so people can know. ours was showing up in their schoolwork like right now creative writing all three of them starting actually in third grade we it started showing up I guess that's probably when it was introduced. They kind of have a shutdown and they just, if something doesn't go right or if something's not going the way they want it to go, they can't get past it and they can't push through it. Um, it's just little things like in, in their growth and their education growth that we've learning and they're getting through it now that we've got tutors. And, and we also actually two summers ago, um, I actually introduced them to a therapist for the first time too. And because they were younger, that art therapy, but I wanted it to be a safe place that if things still continue to show up or, I mean, we are no child therapist, right? So we have no idea. But when it's something that we don't know, they have another safe place to go to. Good. They can remember that lady that I introduced them to that they got to color and play board games with, right? Mm-hmm. And so I started early on making therapy something that was a safe place to go and that it's not something where you have to be losing it or depressed or something that maybe you just need somebody else that's not your parents to talk to. Right. So that's something that we noticed. And she actually had brought some things to our attention too, that you don't even realize that the kids are affected, especially when they were young. But that was opening in like the last couple of years that we've noticed. Do they ask questions about details of that day? So yeah. Our oldest does. So our oldest, we, and we, we tell this all the time when we talk, you don't realize what they're digesting and what they're bringing in. Right. So the day of, or not the day of, like a week afterwards. So we pulled him. He was five. Oh, yeah. So we pull him in and tell him, and that's when he tells us about his fellow classmate and all this other stuff, right? Don't hear anything for quite a while. Like, you know, he doesn't ask any questions or anything like that. And I remember one day we're driving down the road, and he's still in a booster seat. Now he's 6'4", by the way. Yeah, he's exactly. Huge. Um, but he's still in a booster seat, so I'm in the front. He's in the back, and I don't know where we're going, and it, nothing to do with Danny, right? And all of a sudden, he's like, hey, Dad. Yeah, what's up, bud? Can I ask you a question? Sure. Why didn't you stop the bad guy from killing Danny? Mm. And, and I was, I mean, you know, trying not to wreck. My eyes are watering. I'm yeah. like, you know, um, and he didn't mean it to be mean. Yeah. And yeah. I, and I tell people this, kid. it's innocent of a child, right? Because to him, I was Superman, right? Yeah. I couldn't do anything wrong. I was the guy, right? I could walk on, you know, push things, you know, whatever. And uh, so to him, he couldn't understand how I couldn't stop that guy. 
And the best answer I could come up with at the time was I tried my best. And he was okay. He was like, okay. That was it. Um, and then that's over the years. That's a good year, answer, Scott. Yeah. That's a good answer. That was, I made it up on the fly. That's what we tell them, right? Just do your best. Just yeah. do your best. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I had to convince myself that that was true over a while, over long periods of time as well. But, um, and then we started including them in anniversaries. Uh, we do a thing at the gravesite every year. So they started coming to that. Um, for his birthday, we went and re- released some balloons one year. And um, Connor wrote a great little thing on the balloon. Hey, we miss you. I wish you could come back, which, of course, made me want to cry again. Yeah, exactly. Um, we went to a bench dedication, and it was at a park. So there was a playground, and we're like, oh, the kids can play. The and... park on Eastern? Yes. The... Yes. Yeah, that one. No, 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 no. It's that... the one in uh, um... Foothill Farms. Foothill, old Foothill Farms, uh, kind of behind the Target. Okay. College joke, that area. And uh, we finished it up, and I had to go back to work. And uh, he was in the car with Liz, and they were driving back, and he – it was my middle one. No, it was Connor. Oh, it was Connor. He was like, hey, Mom, that was a very, that's a cool bench that they buried Danny under. He thought he was at the funeral. Oh, boy. Because we hadn't shared with him. And we started to learn, okay, we need to, you know. So she explained to him. And, and so then we ended up visiting the gravesite and yeah. stuff like that. And even now, he's 14. He wants to read the book. He knows it's there. And he wants to read it. And I keep telling him, reading level, of course, you can read it. I mean, I, I helped write it. Vicky did most of the work, but I helped write it. So it's a pretty simple book. It's just missing crayons. It's yeah. not that complicated of a read, but the content is very it's, adult. And he's yeah. just, we don't feel like he's, he's quite ready yet. So I told him when you're 16, plus we're working on a hard copy version of it. And I want to get each boy a copy and sign it and kind of, you know, yes. as a keepsake for them. And they're going to get to read it, but it has some, you know, adult stuff in there and some mom and dad moments that I'm not ready to yeah. share, share with, with a 14 year old boy. Yeah. 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 So we said 16. Um, but yeah, they still, and, and they're all well aware of how it works. And like when we go speak at our, through cops at our traumas of law enforcement classes, um, we just remind them, Hey, you know, we're going this weekend. You're going to stay with grandma, you know, and do you guys remember why we're doing this? And they, all of them almost in unison now they're like, yeah, you're going to help people. So they're okay with it. So they understand why we're leaving them for a couple of days. It's only two or th- it's only three times a year, give or take. But still, we want to let them know that we're leaving them for a good purpose. Yes. And and so they're, you know, and they're okay with it. And as, as long as we bring older. them back something good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> as they get older, it's probably more of an understanding. And yeah, you know, um, as and, and we want to take them to D.C. eventually to, you know, see the wall and all that stuff. Um, just, you know, three boys and money and everything else. Yeah, yeah it's not we're, we're, it's not ready. We're not there yet. <laughs> yeah. but we're working on it. Yeah. Do your boys express any interest in getting into law enforcement as a career? So we see it in our youngest. Mm-hmm. Um, not, I mean, he wants to be a ninja police officer, well, right? Like of he's, and Batman. And Batman. Naturally. So he's nine. Who doesn't? Um, but you start to see it in his heart, right? He's such like a helper. And he's always like, I'll never let anybody hurt you, mom. I'm like, shoot, you're going to yeah. be my cop. Like, I just know it. <laughs> and we, we love officers. It's just once you've gone through what we've gone through, we will support them. We will not tell them no, but we kind of encourage maybe being a fireman. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out being like, a fireman. You could still be a first responder, yeah, but maybe sure. you just don't carry a gun. That would be helpful. Yes. So, yeah. but we, the oldest is more um, engineer and building, and our second one, we're not quite sure yet. Yeah, but he the, doesn't know yet. We don't know yet, but I mean, the third one, you just stuff. kind of start seeing that calling early. Yeah. He's my little helper. Oh, he's got, got that fight. And yeah. I tell him, I'm like, yeah, I'll be. I'll be terrified the whole time because, yeah. you know, we've watched enough parents bury their kids. Yeah. Um, but I, I'll be, I'll support him and I'll be honored. I mean, I'll, I'll, like I said, I'll completely honored that he chose to, to do that or it chose him, I guess. Yes. Um, but am I going <laughs> to encourage it and push him that way? Probably sure. not. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of prayer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, number one piece of advice, 
Scott, from one first responder to another going through something, you know, because I'm sure we have a ton listening. So, and again, I'm going to refer back to when we do our talks, when we, when we finish it up, our biggest thing, at least relationship wise, and I think personally wise is communication, communication, communicate. We say it over and over again. And I always give this analogy and I'm going to give it now um, only because I know the cops will understand and probably anybody else listening. And I say, you know, obviously we say that if you hold this stuff in, it's poison. Whether it's that the, the, the million little things or the one big thing, it really doesn't matter. Um, so say, for example, and I always give an example. Say, for example, you go to that call and it involves a kid, yes. a little kid, yes. and that kid doesn't make it. Yes. Okay, that call is going to affect you no matter who you are. And we've all been to them. I've been to more than I can count on my hands, right? And, and if they don't affect you, go find a new job because you are jaded and you need some help, right? Um, so those calls affect you, right? And you go out with your day and then you come home to whether it's your roommate, your partner, your wife, your parents, it doesn't matter, right? You come home and they are, they're going to ask you, how was your day? They always ask you how your day is. Your dog is doing it in some way, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. And what's our answer? Fine. It was good. Fine. Yeah, it was fine. 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 Yeah, it was good. Do we know what fine stands for? Yeah, freaked out, irrational, neurotic, and emotional. Sure, we'll use freaked out. That's yeah. a nice word. There's another F <laughs> There's word. There's another F word. Freaked out word. <laughs> yeah, effed up, insecure, neurotic, and emotional, right? Yeah. And then now, because you're thinking about that and it's affecting you, you may be a little grumpy. You may be a little short. You not. You don't want to do anything, right? You're kind of that circle dot, that jerk, that a hole yes. that I was for quite a while. So take that same scenario. You go to that call. You come home and you're that person, whoever it is, asked you how your day was. And instead of saying fine, just be like, you know what? It sucked. I had to deal with a dead kid. They might say, do you want to talk about it? And you say, nope. And that's fine too. Maybe you do down the road. Maybe you never do. And then everything else is exactly the same. You're that same aloof, don't want to be anywhere, testy person. But at least now they know it's not their fault. Because that first time you said you were fine and now you're a jerk. Yeah. They're going to think it's something they did. Even your kids, right? Yeah, Whereas yes. if at least they have an idea, I had a horrible day. Now at least they're not blaming them themselves. I'm not justifying your behavior and you got to work through it and find a way to cope and stuff like that. But at least, you know, and so communication is huge, whether it's with your spouse, whether it's with your partner, whether it's with a friend, your partner, peer support. I joined peer support after Danny was killed because I wanted to be there for other officers because now we might have a shared experience. And it came in handy with Bob and Mark and Adam. Um, a counselor. It's a, it's a third party. It's somebody that's not emotionally invested and they can listen and they can give you a, a perspective that you're not going to get from somebody that's emotionally cl- close to you. And that's why we encourage that as well. Yeah. Um, so just talking, 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 because holding it in and, and there's stories all the way across the board of people that held it in, held it in, held it in. And then it came out in some, some way that was no, unhealthy yeah. um, or downright dangerous. Right. So over the years, have you finally shared with her, all the details of that day that you don't like talking about. Yes. She knows everything. I knew everything that day. You did. Because I was with him within 20 minutes. That was one thing that we've, you know, learning from other people, the spouses aren't always as involved, but I was called within 15 minutes of him being taken away from the scene. And a sergeant came and picked me up and I was probably with him within 30 minutes. So good. I was with them at the detective's office. We were able to go into a room with a chaplain. We spent about 45 minutes, and he was able to download everything. And he was still, right, working through it, downloaded everything. I just listened with our chaplain. And that's what's part of our story, too, is when we were in that room for 45 minutes, 
he didn't stop, right? You heard. It just kept going. So we sort of took a deep breath and walked out the room, and all of a sudden we walked into that madness, and we're getting the updates of what was going on. So even until actually the court and writing the book, we still didn't even know everything. I mean, you heard today. There were so many details from that day that still to the, I mean, we look, it's like, it's a freaking movie somebody wrote. Like, there's no way that this is real, but it was real. Because for the book, we had to Evil's do we did interviews with, you know, the lead detective for our department. Um, we did it with the SWAT commander that took him into custody. We did interviews with a whole bunch of the plaster guys because we wanted our uh, several things. But one of my things was I wanted to make it accurate. Mm -hmm. I didn't want somebody that was involved in it to read it and be like, BS, that didn't happen. Right. Or he got it wrong. And, and it wasn't to, you know, it wasn't to make it sensationalized or I didn't want to exaggerate or anything like that. And I, but I did not want to get it wrong. And, and then also our other thing was this thing would have never happened without permission, permission from both the Olivers and the Davises. When we, when yes. Vicky and I had the idea, I said, I am not going to start this thing. I didn't, I didn't need to legally. I could have done it right without them. I would have had to change some names and stuff like that. But emotionally and personally, I said, I am not going to even begin to this journey unless I have a hundred percent permission from both sides. And they were more than supportive, continue to be. Um, they all have their copies. Some of them haven't read it, and I'm okay with that, too. They told me. I will. Susan, Danny's widow, said she will never read it. And I'm okay with that. I said, I totally get it, but I'm going to give you a copy out of respect. Um, but she did give permission, right? She said Good. it was okay. And then same with everybody in the book. There were a couple of people that declined to have their names in there, but that's I get it. No problem. Um, but almost everybody was, yeah, please, 100%. And they they really supportive of what we were doing um, in that. Yeah, yeah, you see the good that could come out of it. And we, I've had people read that and email me. And we've had just some amazing feedback of, oh, my God, you, you, changed, you changed how I look at things. You, I'm, I'm going to start doing this. I'm going to start doing that. Um, and then several people just gave them closure, whether it was a citizen that watched it on the news and it really affected them or officers that were involved in just part of it for that day. And now they get the full picture because we don't like not knowing everything. We don't. It, it, it drives us crazy. Yeah. And so for me, it was therapy to do the book in general because I got to learn the stuff I didn't know. And then I've had several people that, that were involved in sections of that day, and now they get closure too, and that makes me feel good. Anything left out of this book? Or is this, this is it? This is your raw? That's from, from our family and from what happened that day, everything all the way through the trial and everything else. Uh, up until the published date, it is up to date and full. There's nothing that got left out from our family. Um, yes. you know, I left out other people's stories cause it wasn't my story to tell. Um, but from us, we were very open, which made it very hard when we went to go, okay, it's time to publish. And we both looked at each other and we're like, do we really want to do this? This <laughs> it's is pretty raw. It's, it's us and it's out there. Good for you guys. Yeah. But we figured, you know what? That's part of the problem is people are afraid to share everything and put themselves out there. And so it's not going to have that effect. And I didn't want to edit it. I didn't want to dumb it down because one Cops specifically are good BS detectors, right? And sure. if, if I did any of that, they would know it immediately, and then they wouldn't give it any credit. And then uh, I just I didn't want to miss anything because I was afraid to share. And uh, so we, you know, we talked about it, we prayed on it, and we decided, you know what, if we're gonna do it, we're gonna do it all out and see what happens and take the consequences. We've, we've, some people have gotten mad at us for it. Some people have uh, misconstrued our intentions for why we did it. Um, and I knew that was gonna happen, and I had to be okay with that. Um, I mean, we, we give away more books than we sell. Yeah, you do. I kind of get in trouble for that a little bit because we can't <laughs> afford it. But, um, you know, but, uh, you know, 
it's been worth it. And the feedback and the, the responses um, let us know that we, 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 we were doing what we set out to do. Absolutely. This, I can't wait to read it. Oh, me neither. You know what I mean? Especially because you said anybody can read it. It's easy to read. So. Yes. Yeah. Well, yes. what we it's tell people, it's not a bedtime story. It's not story. a bedtime story. No. Just know that. Do yeah, not read I, it late no. at night. Yeah. We but, have the nightmares enough as it is. Yes. And well, people, and people can't put it down. So that's the other reason. If you start reading it late, then all of a sudden you pull an all-nighter. <laughs> so it's TikTok. It's yes. the new TikTok Yes, for it me. is. Yeah. It's something I can't put down at night. Yes. Um, okay. We're gonna. I received this email from Chris, who actually, he has a testimonial about the book. Uh, he says, I, I would like to say that after Officer Brown was on the Rad Show, I immediately went to Amazon and bought his book. That You, you visited the Rad Show last year, right? Yeah, right. I, I yeah. do the Pig Bowl the every pig year bowl. where the yeah, cops right. play the firemen, and we, we mentioned it really quickly there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so Chris says, it was excellent. All of the emotions flowed while reading that book. If anyone wants to know the, the story in detail, the hows, the whys, the reasons, the aftermath, it's an, ex- and it's an excellently written book. To Officer Brown and his wife Liz, I hope that time has helped. Thank you for your service. Well, thank, thank you. you very much for writing that. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Um, can they get signed copies? Absolutely. Ooh. How do they get signed copies? Um, well, Probably. are you guys doing book signings coming we up at did, all? We did, but we haven't done one in a while, although we've started talking about doing, doing one more? again maybe this next year. Okay. Um, we're honestly all the one, the three, I think we did three. Three. Yeah. The ones that we have done is usually just a coffee shop or yeah. a brewery was at one of them. And they asked us, hey, do you guys want to come up and do a book signing? Um, arranged by somebody that knows them or whatever. And so we're open. As long as our schedule's <laughs> open, we're always yeah. going to say yes. And, we, and I mean, we're still in the Sacramento area. I figure, you know, a coffee shop, nobody shows up. I'll have a cup of coffee. That's right. Leave, right? Yep. We're going to show up. And you know what? When you guys plan those, let us know. Yeah. We'll promote it, put it on air, and put some links on the internet and stuff. And it, it, for people who want to buy the book, it's on Amazon. Like mm-hmm. I said, we'll link it later. Buy the book, read it, and then that way you're... Uh, you know exactly what we're talking about. I got to read it too. And then when you guys do the book signings, we can come out and get them signed. And yeah, and then our, our, we actually also created a web page, um, scottandlizbrown.com, and it has the link for the book on there as well. Good. And then it also has any of these type of things because we've done a couple other shows. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has those all on there linked as well, plus any upcoming events. So when we do have those, we try to keep it updated. Um, as to any of those so then that way people can be appraised of uh, and then there's an email too you can write us questions con- yeah. or ask us anything you want on there as well so it's a great resource we're still working on it we're not tech people no it's um, perfect yes but, uh, we're working on it so uh, go visit that sometime too and if they want to hire you to come speak other whether it's a business a law enforcement agency a school I would imagine criminal justice classes in college I go to all the time I think that you should go do that too um, people getting into law enforcement need to kind of know what they're what, what they're looking at you know? Yeah, just uh, again, open. our email's yeah. on the website. Just send us, and as long as you know it doesn't interfere with yes. the kids and everything else and work <laughs> and everything else, and I can work it out, we're, we, we, we'll be glad to do that kind of stuff. I see, like, marriage therapy for law enforcement somewhere in your future. <laughs> you know, maybe get certified in something like that. Because, yeah. I mean, who better to talk to than somebody that we know has already been through it, somebody that we can trust. You know, it's not just a talking head behind a desk. It's this guy's been there. He's done it. You know, probably even military folks, mm. too. Yeah, my, my best friend, uh, he works for the National Guard. He's a former Army Ranger, and he's read it. Um, and he uh, he said it 100% equates to, you know, because he did two tours, and, and it, it, it equates to that as well. And then my best friend from college is with Metro Fire. I forgive him for that. And uh, <laughs> kidding, we love our fire. We need buddies. heroes, too. America's heroes, right? Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and he has it, too. And so I, I've had some firemen say that, it, you know, because, you know, we're all – we're all brothers and sisters, you know, yes. second cousins, as far as the profession goes. And, um, you know, trauma is trauma. 
Um, even the even the civilian that hasn't that isn't a part of any of those, it's been through trauma. Yes, the body reacts in similar ways, um, and half of it is knowing that your reaction is quote unquote normal, makes a huge difference. Knowing you're not alone in your thoughts and feelings is huge. I know for me, by when I finally found somebody that had been through a similar incident and sat and talked with them, I realized I wasn't crazy. That's the truth. And and, and that made yes. a huge difference. I it didn't stop me from feeling some of those feelings. But just knowing that I wasn't alone in my thoughts and feelings was huge. And that's part of what the book is about, too. You know, and, and I think what's interesting, too, is um, PTSD grabs us in the most unlikely times and the most unlikely ways. I remember we were watching a movie at the theater. I don't think we'd been to the theater for years, you know, and finally went to watch a movie. And I can't even remember what it was, but there was a scene and it was like a, um, a kid that was injured, the death, you know, and it all of a sudden I'm sitting in the middle of the theater. I just have to like crying you know it's like the dumbest movie it was like an action-packed movie but that scene of that kid and that trauma was like i just need a minute i didn't even i don't remember the next five minutes and so people don't realize that we don't have a say when ptsd or something triggers and like you said it's not just somebody who's been through a law enforcement death or a law enforcement experience or military it could it could be you as the spouse you know it could be um a a victim of rape you know or you know child molestation or it could be anyone when that that moment it picks you you know and a trigger could be anything you know uh so i mean if you're anybody who's been through anything this book could probably help you understand that like you said you're not alone it's embarrassing in those moments when that grabs you it's it's like uh i'm the only one that's feeling this ever because it's that embarrassing everybody knows right now that i'm fucked you know everybody around me knows that i'm not okay but nobody really knows most of the time we we go what do we say we're fine yeah well after these big incidences right we have cisds critical incident stress debriefings Mm -hmm. and we'll sit in there and we kind of talk about the incident and i've been in several before and the first one I sat in for that was with the team. And I remember telling the story because I wanted them to know that because I, I, I was afraid they thought I ran and hid and didn't fight back and blah, blah, blah. Right. In my mind, I, that's what they thought. And I wanted to make sure they didn't know. Right. But I remember telling the story and shaking. My hands were shaking so bad. And I was so embarrassed, so embarrassed. And then later after we've you know been through and, and done, I've taken classes and I've learned a little bit. That's normal. I was tense and that was the body's way of relieving that energy, mm-hmm. right? But I didn't know at the time and so I was extremely embarrassed, which of course made it even worse and everything else. Had I known that that was a normal reaction, I might not have reacted the way I did. I still probably would have shaken, but at least I wouldn't have been, I'd be like, yeah, this is the way it is, right? Emotionally, it would have been easier to deal with, yeah. you know? Yeah, so and knowing is huge. Your experience with this, and we'll close out here in a minute, but your experience with this, um, do people reach, law enforcement reach out to you like, Adam Gibson was killed last January or 21, January 21. He was, he was killed on the line of duty. Do, do people reach out to you personally and say, I need help? You know, can you help me through this? Both, both of us actually, um, okay. mm-hmm. you know, me, me, I get it. I get it from the officers, you know, like, Hey, can we talk? Can we go have lunch? Can we have, you know, whatever it is. Um, and sometimes it'll be, Hey, my, can my wife come and can you bring your wife? Cause they know that we're kind of a, kind of a team, right? Dynamic yeah. duo. Um, and then she started our Sheriff Spouses Association after Danny was killed. And so whenever there is one, they go into gear, right, and start helping out families and wives and stuff like that. And she's had, I mean, coffees and, and dinners and lunches and all sorts of stuff with without me there with the, the spouses because they feel like they need to vent. They need to get it off their shoulders, too. And, uh, you know, and sometimes they apologize like, oh, I, you know, you don't I don't need to be burdening. You know, that's if, if yes. we weren't OK with our stuff. 
we wouldn't be helping you with yours, right? I wouldn't yeah. be taking care of you without taking care of my own stuff. Right. So that's what we're there for. Um, and it's been, it's been honestly a great experience. I mean, I hate to say it because obviously somebody else is going through something for them to want to talk to us. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that they feel like they have a resource in us, it, it makes us feel good, makes us feel proud. I'll say I'm proud of you too, for sure. Uh, the events that I've been to where you guys have been catalyst for um, with, and we'll, we'll plug Victoria Newman in here too, because she helped write this book and Victoria's husband is a retired CHP and, and 30 something years marriage, uh, successful in law enforcement marriage. And um, you two coupled with her and her husband, what's his name, Brent? Brent. Have been just incredible for our community. All the events you guys throw. Um, if anybody needs resources, I mean, you're getting firsthand resources here without the bill of a therapist. I mean, reach out to these two, read the book, contact Victoria. She's as open as they come, and she's as helpful, too, just for my interactions with her. Um, this is this is where we get ourselves healthy, and we stop being that 72% divorce rate, or 55 for that matter. If you're not even in law enforcement and you need someone to talk to, we're not going to turn down a phone call. And I'd be remiss if I didn't plug Vicki. She started an organization called How to Love Our Cops, which is towards law enforcement marriages and stuff like that. Um, they're national. They do stuff locally and nationally. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she's written several other books, uh, Chip on My Shoulder and A Marriage in Progress, which are solely law enforcement marriage books. Yes. Um, and those are great books as well, um, which is kind of how we got to know them and why we started our project, because we both read her other books um, and just love the way she did it. Yeah, so. she's she's something else. And yeah. she's quite the speaker, too. And and so I'll say, you know, we'll close out um, scottandlizbrown.com, right? Is that's the yeah. okay. no spaces? Or anything no like spaces, yeah. and, and and we'll we'll link it. I'll link it. Um, obviously, people know how to get a hold of me through my website and through through Rad Radio with Brandon and Kyle, and send us emails or messages on Facebook. And if you want to get a hold of them and you didn't want to write in today, that's fine. Contact us. Let them know. Um, they are for hire national speakers. <laughs> you know, uh, me too. We require travel and somewhere to stay, but, um, you know, we do this kind of stuff because we love it. And because again, we want to help. Um, we're not making a living out of this. This is because we love doing this stuff. Brandon and Kyle too. I mean, they're Mm -hmm. here for me doing this for me after hours on their free time, because this is how we continue to fix our world. You know, and Brandon and I say that all the time, this is healing for us. Absolutely. You know, we're healing too and learning these kind of stories and, getting these kind of things out there. So, you know, you guys, you keep tuning in every couple of weeks for our podcast. You keep writing me and those, those people who are naysayers, that's okay because we're helping them too, you know? And I, and I tell people all the time, the people who say they aren't watching you are the ones you're probably helping the most because they are listening, you know, because they tell you they're not listening. They are, that, that's how you know they are. (laughs) You know, the ones who speak up and have something negative to say, we're helping them too. And so I keep remaining positive, even for them, especially for them, you know. Um, we have one viewer from Snowy, Utah, named Kelly. He says, it's great to see you all, and it takes great strength to relive this tragedy. Now that we've heard about your worst day at work, what was your best day? Oh, I love Good that. Good question, That's Kelly. That's a great question. Wow. Oh, man. Um, I, you know what? First off, I got to say, I don't think I've ever been asked that. That's a cool question. It's always like, what's the worst day? Or have you ever shot anybody? Or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, man. Uh, so, honestly, uh, one of the things that comes to mind, and probably because we're talking about the book, and it's in the book, um, was Danny and I, we 
we were in North Highlands. We pulled over this car, had I think four, four, four people in it and a kid. Oh, I know this one. Yeah. Yeah. So we, uh, so we, we, uh, you know, we run everybody in the car and, and one of the ladies in the car has a felony warrant for her arrest. So we pull her out of the car and, and unfortunately the daughter in the car was hers mm. and none of the family member were in the car. So we pull her out and we're like, Hey, you have this warrant. I am not going to cuff you up in front of your daughter. Be cool. Right. We'll be cool if you're cool. Right. Kind of thing. And she said, she really appreciated it and said, thank you. Um, and so well, what's family. So we call some family members. Ah, they're going to be about 15 minutes out. All right. So we call them and while we're waiting, I'm talking with the lady. I'm trying to, you know, encourage her, you know, to, to turn her life around, maybe not hang out with some of these people, trying to give her some resources to get back on her feet. And she was fairly receptive. And Danny was playing with the little girl. And they're, they're running around. I mean, it's right in front of one of the Roach Motels on Watt Avenue, right? And they're running around. They're playing hide and seek behind like an electrical box kind of thing. <laughs> and I remember I was talking with the lady and all, and they're kind of running around. I remember they, she, the little girl stopped in her tracks and looks up at Danny. And so he stops and is kind of looking down at her. And she's all, you know what? You look like a teddy bear. That's cute. And Danny looks over at me and I start busting up laughing and he's all, I'm never going to live that down. Am I? I'm like, not a chance, <laughs> not a chance. And so she, they, she keeps playing. They show up, right? We, we, uh, let the daughter go with the, the person. And the, the lady was very, she, she said, sad that she had to say this, but she said, you're the nicest officer that's ever arrested me, oh. which one implied that she'd been arrested before <laughs> mm-hmm. too bad. Cause I always say when we arrest somebody, I hope it's the last time. I hope they learn from their mistake and I never see them again. One of the few jobs I can say, I never hope I see you again and it's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that she said that and then the memory that she left me with, with Danny of the teddy bear, cause that name actually stuck and we started calling him the teddy bear at work on the, on the pop team. And then it turned into don't poke the bear, you know, kind <laughs> yeah. of thing. Cause, um, but that was, that's one of my great memories. And I, I do have several others and most of them involve like chases and fun pursuits and yeah. stuff like that, that ended okay. You know, that all ended right. Um, but it's a great job. I tell people, despite what happened, I still can't think of anything else I would rather do. Yes. Um, you know, would I obviously change that day 100%, but I, I still can't think of another job I'd rather do. And when I'm done in another five-ish years, I'll be very proud of my career. And Most days are good. Yeah. You know, most days out there are good. You know, it's it's those moments that are really, really bad, moments that are really fun you know, boring sometimes, but most days are good. Most contacts with other people are good, even the suspects, you know, and I had, you know, Cherie on here who was one of our inmates in the jail. And apparently some of the things I said to her stuck and she's been now clean for six years. And so she was a guest Mm. about her sobriety being one of my former inmates, you know, and talk about a good moment, you know, and most of those contacts that we have are life-changing for other people. Because I say when we show up, it's probably their worst day. We're not showing up on somebody's good day. If the cops come, it's probably not a good day. We have an opportunity in that moment. Ideally, it's the first and only law enforcement contact they ever had. Even if it's their hundredth, if they can remember that one as the best contact they've ever had, then we've succeeded. We've treated them with fairness and kindness and respect, despite what they have done. Maybe especially because what they have done, we were that catalyst of change for them. And... That's a good moment for us, you know. Yeah. Kelly, that was a good question. Yes, it was. I like that. Great way to close close the cast. I like it. Kelly thinks he he writes in, and I like Kelly. And yeah. you know, we have our Utah our Utah Kelly that writes in. So, um, you guys, Amazon.com, Facing Evil, this book. We're gonna link it. 
uh, contact us if you guys have any questions and and uh, let us know if you want to talk to Liz and Scott or hire them for an event to come speak wherever it is that you that you work and maybe can have that. Um, and if you want a signed copy book tour 2023, <laughs> I will stay on them about this. I'll help you guys plan it, set it up. I'll make the phone calls. You guys just show up. And um, we'll set it up. I would love to promote that for you. That'd be great. That'd be awesome. Um, you guys just be the famous book writers and just show up, okay, <laughs> with a Sharpie. Yeah, Smile and with wave. a Sharpie. Smile I like wave. it. Uh, two weeks from now, we're going to have another podcast. Um, you guys, I hope you feel better. Oh, I Kyle, feel fine. It's Kyle, Kyle unfortunately. Kyle's quarantined yeah. back then. Yeah, well, I appreciate it. Thank you. You guys are awesome. You. I really appreciate everything. Thank you very much. We Kyle. love you, Kyle. Thank you for sticking it through. I yeah. Really. We appreciate it. I do my best. You do great, Kyle. So you guys, all right, have a good uh, couple of weeks and a great weekend. We'll see you guys in two weeks on Connect with me, Lacey, Brandon, and Kyle.